All right, good morning. How's everybody doing? Pretty good? Pretty good? Yeah, that's good. I'm glad. That makes me happy. I'm glad to be back with you this week. Uh, if I've never met you before, my name is Bill. I'm one of the pastors here at Summit Crossing. Welcome. We're glad if you're visiting with us today that you're giving us a little bit of your time. Uh, if you have a moment, fill out one of those connect cards in the chair in front of you. You can drop them in those boxes on your way out the door today. That allows us to help you get connected deeper into our church. And so we're always trying to get new people to connect to others in our church because while we love what we do on Sunday mornings, we really believe that the gospel the good news that we gather around of who Jesus is, what he's done, it really expands into the everyday stuff of our lives. And so we would love to be able to help you connect with other people and journey together with them along the way. But if, if you're not comfortable doing that, don't worry about it. Man, we want you just to make yourself at home this morning. Just be you. Like, you don't have to come here being anything but you today. It's a safe place. Uh, we have a lot of people in the room who are brand new to church. We have a lot of people in the room who grew up in church. So no matter, like, where you are, on that spectrum. We're just glad that you're here. Uh, our hope is that you'll see uh, Jesus. Put your faith in him if you don't believe in him yet. Uh, that's kind of our whole thing, and, and we're just, as much as anything, just want to say welcome and thanks for spending some time with us. I do have a couple other announcements uh, this morning, and so uh, on top of those welcome and connect cards, if you are interested in becoming a member of our church, we're starting our connect class today. That's the first step people take that are interested in becoming members. It's actually happening right now. It's going to be over the next four weeks during the 11 o'clock service. You're welcome to literally get up and go over right across the hallway, and, and uh, we're doing that right now. And so if you're interested, feel free to do that. Uh, I won't uh, call you out or anything as you stand up and go over there. But at the same time, uh, if you are also interested in serving, we have some serve cards around here, all kinds of opportunities for you to be jumping into what we're doing as a church. A couple other things. Uh, we've got a kids camp coming up this summer. Uh, if you haven't heard about it, it's called Make Waves. It's going to be an awesome time uh, over at the Madison campus, over in Madison, Summit Crossing Madison campus. It's going to be happening June 13th through the 16th for kindergartners through fifth grade. Uh, our registration opens up for that next Sunday, March 27th. So we're telling you that this week, because some of you have kids, you want to sign them up, but you're going to go on spring break and completely forget about it. And so just remember, starting next Sunday, March 27th, registration for that is going to open up. It is limited in terms of how many kids they can accept into it. So make sure if you want your kids to go that you take a moment to sign up for that. It's going to be a really, really awesome day uh, or awesome week uh, with those kids. Can't wait to see that happen. And then uh, one more big thing we got going on tonight is our uh, family movie night that's happening tonight. Uh, do you believe in Cinemagic? That's what I think it says right here. Then join us for our family movie night today, tonight at Athens Cinemagic. And so you should come at 6.30 tonight. Now, I have only lived in Athens since last July, and so many of you, um, unsolicited, by the way, have told me all of your memories from Cinemagic at this place. So there is no way, like, tonight's going to live up to the expectations I have for this place. I can't even fathom what this movie place is going to be like. It's a little drive-in movie. I think the screen is, like, 27 stories tall. Like, it's going to be absolutely life changing and altering. And so you should totally bring your kids. Uh, you can bring your kids all the way uh, from birth all the way up to uh, your spouse. So it, it's, uh, you can bring anybody you want with you. It's free to go. It's going to start, get there between 6.30 and 7 o'clock. We're going to show the movie as soon as we can see it on the screen. 
And so uh, we'll also have some games uh, and some like cornhole and yard games going on. Uh, everything's free, but there are concessions available there if you want to purchase those uh, when you get there. Or you can bring your own stuff too. Bring some lawn chairs, bring something to sit on. It's going to be a lot of fun. Man, invite your friends. Can't wait for that Cinemagic tonight at the Cinemagic at 6.30. All right. There are your announcements for the week. All right. We're going to jump back into a little mini-series that, that, that we're kind of in the middle of this week that Joey started out with uh, last week. I had an opportunity to go uh, teach over at our Madison location last week. Joey uh, came and he taught last week talking about what does it mean to live out our lives in the kingdom of Jesus as opposed to the kingdom of the world. So what does it mean for us to be kingdom citizens of uh, of, of what Jesus talks about when he says he brought his kingdom with him. And so we're going to continue that today, and we're going to talk a little bit more uh, uh, about some examples of what that looks like in terms of how we relate to other people, specifically in marriage. And so I think it's really, really important that we talk about this today because uh, there, there's a lot of things about how marriage is perceived in the world that are very different than how marriage operates within the kingdom of Jesus. And so by, j just by way of uh, memory, we, a couple weeks ago we were in the book of John. We're going to come back to the book of John in a couple of weeks again. But right at the end, uh, Pontius Pilate and Jesus, they're having a conversation together. Do you remember this? And Pontius Pilate says to Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And then in John chapter 18, Verse 36, Jesus answered him and he said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom, and then he repeats it, is not from the world. And so in other words, there is a kingdom of Jesus that is different than the kingdom of the world. And so what life in the kingdom of the world looks like is a lot of times very different than what life in the kingdom of Jesus looks like. And that kingdom living applies to every aspect of a Christian's life. Now remember, we've talked for so many weeks that for, for those of us who would call ourselves Christians, we're searching for a much deeper faith, the, the, the kind of faith that sets us on fire, the kind of faith that isn't phony and hollow where we put on masks and pretend to be something that we're not. We're really looking for something that is powerful. And so when we talk about living out our lives in the kingdom of Jesus, it's, it's the way that we begin to live out the gospel and the everyday stuff of our lives and therefore experience the power of God in our lives. And what better place is that going to happen than, than in the way that you relate to other people, especially when it comes to marriage? So we're going to talk a lot about marriage kind of as the divine example of what relationships look like. Uh, in the kingdom of Jesus. Now, why marriage? Why not? There's so much going on in the world, like, right? There's, there, there, there's uh, I don't know if you know, but the world has a lot of problems going on, so why are we picking on marriage this morning? So, I mean, don't, like, there's a war going on between Ukraine and Russia. Why don't we talk about that? Or don't you know that in our culture, there's a lot of different things going on. We've had so many racial reconciliation issues in our culture, or there's, you know, political polarization in our culture, and so it seems like everybody's kind of at each other's throats. Why don't we talk about what that looks like? And, and I would come back and say, if you understand the principles that we're going to talk about today in marriage and how, how they apply then into our lives, all these other problems actually begin to resolve themselves. If you look at the biggest problems going on in the world, ultimately they boil down to broken relationships. Now, now I know that there are really, really big global problems, but if you look at the root of all of them, in the end, if we don't have 
a coming together of relationships, a true oneness with one another, then the world is going to continue to smolder around us. It's going to continue to burn down around us. And so I think relationships are very, very important. Now, the, the other question you might have in the room is, why are we going to talk about marriage when so many of you in here, you're still in high school, you're in middle school, maybe you're in college, maybe you're single, a young professional, maybe you're widowed, maybe you're divorced. There's a lot of single people in the, in, in the room, so why talk about marriage? Doesn't that alienate a lot of people in the room? And so what I would say is if you're single in the room right now, you want a view of what marriage looks like according to the scriptures for a couple of different reasons. Number one, God teaches about it in the Bible. So whether you're single, whether you're married, there's something for you to learn from looking at good marriages. And then on top of that, because the world's view of marriage is so jacked up, you need a picture of what true marriage can honestly look like so that you begin to seek that out if marriage is something you're looking and so if you are in here and you're, maybe you're in high school, maybe you're dating, maybe you're, you know, single and looking right now, take a look at what marriage looks like in Jesus' kingdom as opposed to the world, and I think you'll see it's a better picture for you. So let's talk a little bit about it. Marriage in the eyes of the world versus marriage in the kingdom of Jesus. Very, very different things. And the way that we're going to talk about today, and we don't have time to talk about everything with marriage, so, so we're going to do a series one day where we're going to spend a lot of time just really breaking down the details of marriage in the scriptures. But I want to hit three really, really high points today for us just to chew on when we think about living out our lives for Jesus. So at, over and opposed to the world and its kingdom, when you live in the kingdom of Jesus, we see a deeper problem in marriage than the world. And those of us in Jesus' kingdom don't only see a deeper problem in marriage than the world, but we also see a, a deeper purpose of marriage than the world sees. And then we see a deeper power for marriage than the world sees. So we're going to look at those three things. A deeper problem in our marriages than the world sees, a deeper purpose of marriage and a deeper power for marriage. And where we're going to do that is uh, open up to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to kind of peek at Ephesians 5. It's a, it's a great little chapter at the end of that chapter where it talks a lot about marriage between a husband and a wife. And before Paul ever addresses husbands and wives, he first says right before the end of that chapter, starting in verse, at the end of verse 18, he says to everyone, whether you're single, whether you're married, he says to everyone, be filled with the Holy Spirit, with the Spirit. Do you see that at the end of verse 18? Be filled with the Spirit, and then verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, a couple of quick things. As citizens of Jesus' kingdom, Christians see a deeper problem in marriage and more ultimate problem in marriage than a lot of people in the world. Most people in the world, at least in my experience, and I've been doing this for a long time now, talk to a lot of people most people who don't have a Christian view of marriage, a lot of times what they see as the ultimate problem in their marriage is their own hurt. It's, it, it's, it's the other person hurting them, and so really the biggest problem in marriage is I've been wounded, and so if I have been wounded, then that's the issue in my marriage. The Bible comes back and says that's actually not the ultimate issue in marriage. The ultimate issue in marriage, according to the Bible, so the Bible is basically going to say the main crisis in any of our marriages is our own self-centeredness. Very, very different. 
The world says the ultimate problem is my woundedness within marriage. The Bible says the ultimate problem is my self-centeredness in marriage. That's why when we come to Ephesians chapter 5, before Paul ever talks about marriage, he first says, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, he says what that results in, what that looks like, an adjective that describes that verb of being filled with the Holy Spirit is that you, look in verse 21, are submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. You know what that word submitting means? Like I said, this isn't a comprehensive uh, talk on marriage, and so he'll later say, wives, submit to your husbands. We'll do another series where we break that down in detail, and you can watch me as a pastor walk out onto that minefield. It'll be a lot of fun. You bring your popcorn that day. But for now, that word submit in Greek, it's actually a military term. It talks about submitting uh, the, the same way that a soldier would submit to his or her officer in the military. In other words, a soldier submitting to something bigger than themselves. A soldier saying there is a a greater good that I'm giving my life over to, and so I'm laying down my rights, I'm laying down my preferences, I'm laying down even my comfort in order to serve this bigger thing that I'm caught up in. It's me putting my self-centeredness over to the side and saying I'm about something other than me at the center of my universe, which is kind of a cool picture of marriage, right? Because if you think of it from a military term, take, take the romance out of everything for just a second. Think about two different militaries, right? It's kind of easy to do that in our world today. On one side, you've got a military where it's full of a bunch of people who are self-centered, and so therefore the world rotates around them, so they have no morale, they have no sense of belonging to something bigger than themselves, they're only in it for themselves, and so there is no unity, there is no oneness, there is no sense of purpose to them. You can see that that kind of military is just kind of crumbling. There's no power to it. And on the other hand, you've got another military who is laying down their, where where they're laying down their lives for one another. They're standing up for something that's bigger than the individual. They're giving their life over to a calling that they feel they've they've been called to. They're saying it's not just about me, but it's about us. And you see that self centeredness being laid down. You see a very powerful military at that point. The Bible says in our default mode as human beings, we're going to err towards the side of self-centeredness. In other words, it's not natural for us to enter into relationships with one another where we put the other person before ourselves. That's foreign to someone who isn't filled with the Holy Spirit. And so it makes a lot of sense when you stop and kind of think about it, right? Like there's a lot of, I have a lot of these illustrations. So I'll I'll give you an example of how it's just not natural. Okay, so Mindy and I, we got married about 21 years, almost 22 years ago now, I think. And uh, yeah, 22 years ago. Probably should apologize to her later for that one. We got married about 22 years ago, right? And so we met out at Sky Ranch. It was a Christian summer camp. And and the way that went down was like I saw Mindy, and, and she's the most beautiful girl I'd ever seen in my entire life. And I'm being dead serious. Like, she was the most gorgeous person. She was the one all the other guys wanted, and I saw her, most beautiful girl I'd ever seen. And so I went up to her. I said, what's up, girl? Like that. And then she looked at me, and she thought to herself, he'll do. And so we, we began to date. And as we began to date, we were really kind of, like, infatuated with each other. I think we knew really early on that, that 
our, our relationship was moving towards marriage. Now, we, we were a little bit older. We were a little bit more mature spiritually. So we dated. We were moving towards marriage. And, and during our dating time, during, our, during our, uh, our, our engagement time, I mean, all I wanted to do was be around Mindy. All Mindy wanted to do was be around me. I mean, we, we were just inseparable. We'd go uh, to Napa Valley on our honeymoon. We didn't know much about Napa Valley. I just knew it was cheaper than going to Cancun. And so, like, I took her there, and we go up into Napa Valley, spend a week together. I mean, just, just epic time together on this honeymoon, you know, just exactly what we had read about and hoped for on, a, on our honeymoon, and man, nothing but romance and really expensive food, and like, we, we just had a great time, and then we move, um, we get back home, we spend a couple weeks, and we move up to Dallas, and for the first time, we have to get jobs, and, and I don't know if you've ever had a job uh, before, but those of you who have never had a job before, you got to understand the people who do have jobs, when they get to the end of their day, they're tired, and they don't necessarily want to put you before them at that point. And so we end up having jobs, and for the first time in our marriage, we look at each other, and it's no longer like, hey, all I want to do is just stare into your eyes, baby, and just serve you the way that Jesus served the church and loved the church and gave his life. I'm like, no, I want to go to sleep. Like, I'm tired. I just want to I want to watch something on Blockbuster and then go to sleep. That's how long ago it was. And I want to watch something on Blockbuster and then I just want to go to sleep. And for the first time in our marriage, all of a sudden, here we are. We're not even four weeks into it. And we're already seeing that this other person that we thought was going to fulfill everything that we had needed in our lives, this other person that we thought was going to like be the perfect person for us, has flaws. It isn't always there for us. And for the first time, even a month into our marriage, and we've had a really solid marriage, a month into our marriage, we, wound, we would wound each other. Already we would let each other down. And already this worldly mentality that marriage is about, how does this other person uh, help me? How does this other person live for me? Was being stressed. We couldn't even make it a month before we began to feel it. And those of you who have been married, you can relate to that. You're like, yeah, tell me about it. We didn't even make it a month. We didn't even make it through the honeymoon before we knew all of a sudden that this other person doesn't think that I'm the center of the universe. You know, Tim Keller says in his great book, The Meaning of Marriage, best book I, I think out there right now on marriage, he, he makes the case that you marry this person that you're infatuated with, that you're in love with. Get married and you wake up the next day and there's a stranger in bed next to you. Because for the first time in your relationship, once you've been married, now you wake up the next day, y'all are together. And for better or worse, good, bad, and yes, early morning ugly. Like you're in it together and you begin to realize all of a sudden that the world doesn't rotate around you. And what happens with a lot of people then, at least the people that we end up doing a lot of counseling with, the people that are struggling, is because they're wounded, they've been taught by the world that the problem is the other person. After all, the other person isn't fulfilling my needs. The other person isn't doing everything that I thought they needed to do. I thought we were going to be taking walks down the beach every single day, sun going down, he would be bringing me roses every night, she would be staring me in the eyes and telling me how much she loves me and it was going to be nothing but bliss. And now this other person at times seems like they don't even care that I'm in the room. 
And so when you come to that moment, then you really have two options. When you come to that moment where you realize this person that you're now married to is the one who has wounded you and you're no longer the center of attention, you're no longer the center of your own universe, there's really two options at that point. You can do what the world does in their kingdom. The world tells you you need to cut bait and run. After all, if your spouse is the source of the wounding, then because the world rotates around you, you need to cut off the source of wounding in your life. So you cut them off, you get out, and you say, I'm going to be my own person again, I'm going to go find someone who doesn't, that does see me as the center of the universe. So you have that option. You can do that where you continue to make yourself the center of the universe, or you have option number two. You can live in Christ's kingdom and believe that the biggest problem in your marriage is your own self-centeredness, and therefore, like every kingdom citizen, aware of your self-centeredness for the first time, you recognize you have to go to war against it in this marriage, against your own self-centeredness. Go to war against it with your spouse by your side. How do you do that then? How do you go to war against this deeper issue of self-centeredness in our marriages? How do we begin to do that? Well, that's where we come to the second point, which is within the kingdom of Jesus, we see a deeper purpose of marriage than the world. A deeper purpose of marriage. It's not just a deeper problem in marriage, but a deeper purpose of it. And if you're going to go to war against your own self-centeredness, then you've got to see the ultimate purpose of marriage. See, the world is going to say that the ultimate purpose of marriage, of my marriage, is to make me happy, to make me complete. But the Bible, in Jesus' kingdom, the kingdom of Christ says the ultimate purpose of my marriage is to expose me so that I can be healed. The world says marriage is to make me happy, to make me feel complete. The Bible says marriage is there to expose you so that you can be healed. Look, at, look back in Ephesians Ephesians chapter 5, we'll pick it up in verse 22. This is where you see the husband and wives come into play. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now remember we said earlier to submit is really to be exposed. It's really for you to expose yourself to another person, lay down your life for the better good of something other than you. It's to say, this is all of me, you can have every bit of me. Imagine a soldier that goes into war and says, you can have a little bit of me, but when times get tough, I'm cutting and running. No, we're coming in and, and right away, Paul has said, if you're filled with the Spirit, submit to one another, and, and then wives, you get a chance to show what it looks like to submit yourself, to expose yourself completely to another human being the same way that we are exposing ourselves completely to God himself. In other words, God has called you to be known. He hasn't called you to have to hide in the shadows. He hasn't made you so that you feel like you always have to put a mask on and not be the real you. 
In fact, he has created you in a way that even if you're holding on to deep secrets that you never thought you wanted anybody to know, he knows about them. You are utterly exposed before him. But if you look also, it says this, husbands love your wives, this is verse 25, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So on the one hand, yeah, we are exposed before God, whether you like it or not. On the other hand, if you look, the husband's called to love his wife the same way that Jesus loved the church. Well, what did Jesus do for the church? It says it right there. He cleansed her. He sanctified her. He made her holy. He took her sin and washed it away so that she now lives in splendor. He took the unrighteous and made the unrighteous righteous and holy before a perfect, holy God. Do you notice what happened there is is in marriage we get an opportunity to show off the gospel that you can be completely exposed and yet completely known and accepted, and shown grace all at the same time. Can you imagine a marriage like that? Can you imagine what that marriage would look like? I, so a couple of months after Mindy and I got married uh, 21 years ago, you, you would have thought if, if you came and saw me, you'd have been like, you're a changed man. Because I don't know what happened to you, but you went from a pigsty to like one of the cleanest people I know. And I'd be like, it's my wife. She's the cleanest person I know. Uh, she, if you need any disinfectant, come to our house. We bought stock in it, and so we'll give you some supply. Uh, we, she, she's, she's just into keeping things neat. I was not before we got married. Uh, a couple months after we got married, Mindy left me uh, to go uh, with, not, not for good, but like left me to go with her friends for like you know a few days or a week or whatever. It's kind of the first time I was alone after being married. And I'm saying like probably about three seconds after Minnie went out the door, I reverted immediately back to just being absolutely filthy. Like I didn't, I don't think I took a shower all week. I'm just confessed. It's probably too much up on stage. But like I don't think I took a shower. I, 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 I was struggling to just remember to get dressed like each day when I'm going to work. Uh, I did not do any dishes. I didn't throw away any trash until about an hour before I knew Mindy was going to be home. And then it was just like a mad dash. And so Minnie gets home, you know, everything is looking halfway decent. And, and in my mind, I'm thinking, if she only knew me, <laughs> she only really knew what this place just looked like. And that can expand to so many things in your life, man, with your spouse. Like, if she only really knew me, like, if, it, if I could just really be myself, and have the deeper conversations and not feel like we have to put on a show just to get along with each other right now, but I could really just be me and be fully exposed. That would feel freeing. If 
I could drag all this junk in my life out in front of another person and say, listen, I know I'm not perfect, I know I'm flawed, but here I am. How freeing would that be? But we don't do it because we fear rejection. And so therefore we up our defenses. And what ends up happening so often in our marriages is we begin to think because marriage is supposed to make us happy. The biggest thing I need to do is whatever is necessary so that everybody's smiling at each other in the living room, and when we get together at Thanksgiving and Christmas, we don't like strangle each other. We just kind of have a good time. The Bible's coming back and saying marriage is so much deeper. It's an opportunity for you to get around another person to be able to be yourself and not fear rejection. Why don't you fear rejection in marriage? I'll tell you why. It's because in true marriage, in Christ-centered marriage, you love one another. You know, okay, well, yeah, you love one another. I hope you love one another, right? You love one Well, yeah, you love one another. Here, here's the thing, and, and this is just a freebie for you today. You realize that any time the Bible talks about love in the ultimate, agape love, the highest view of love that the human brain can comprehend, agape love, any time the Bible discusses agape love, it's in the context of a covenant, covenant love. Do you know what a covenant was? It's a legal, binding contract between two parties agreeing to do something for the other in other words there is no such thing as ultimate love apart from something that's binding that's a covenant that is ultimate like that this is why marriage is an institution that God created it's not just a a divine kind of glorious dating relationship between two people Covenants are all throughout the Bible. God makes a covenant with Abraham, and he says, Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. Your offspring are going to outnumber the stars in the sky. Abraham's like, yo, God, like I'm old, and my wife's old, and I don't know if you know how it works, but, it, but it's just not going to work. And God goes, hold up, I made a covenant with you. It's a binding agreement. If I say it's going to happen, and I make this covenant with you, it will happen. And that's exactly what happens. Marriage is the same way. We make a covenant with one another where a man and a woman come together in an agape covenant kind of love. And what do we say in our weddings and in our marriages when we make our vows? It's for better or it's for worse. No matter what happens in sickness or in health, I will not abandon you. I'll take it one step further. Whether you continue to hide from me the rest of your life or you completely expose yourself to me so that I see the real you, I will not cut bait and run on you. Can you imagine a marriage like that? Where you get to look at one another and go, listen, this is who I really am. And you have the courage to be able to drop your masks, be completely honest, and know without a shadow of a doubt that that person in this marriage with you isn't going to cut bait and run when she sees who you really are. When he knows what's really going on in your heart. This is why I say all the time, Mindy has the hardest job in the entire church. You know why she has the hardest job in the entire church? It's not because all y'all want to get lunch with her. She loves grabbing lunch with you. So, you know, Mindy's into lunches. And it's, she, she, and, and it's not like just her being the pastor's wife or as they'll say down in New Orleans, the first lady. So she's like, it's not, that the, it's not a big deal to her. She doesn't mind being the first lady. Uh, in fact, she prefers it. In fact, today when you see her on the way out the door, say, hey, first lady, how's it uh, going? 
I think Mindy has the hardest job in the entire church because she's married to a pastor and the one that gets up on stage and preaches because here's the thing, she knows me. She knows who I really am. See, if y'all knew me, you knew who I really was, a lot of you'd cut bait and run. I know that you're saying, no, man, we would love you, we would accept you. I get that, but you don't have a covenant with me. You didn't give me your vow. We're not married. Now, we're a church, and I get that. We have a strong family here, but there is a deeper relationship that Mindy and I have with one another that we will never have with anyone else in this church. And Mindy is the one who knows me. She knows the words that come out of my my mouth on stage don't always match the actions that come out of my life in our home. She knows that the guy that gets up on stage and preaches isn't always the guy that comes home and lives with her. She knows that the guy that gets up and speaks confidently about the gospel isn't always the dad that comes home and can do that confidently with his kids. There's a disconnect between what you maybe hear from me and what she experiences because she knows me deep, deep down. And here's what makes her an amazing wife. She doesn't cut bait. She doesn't run on me. She accepts me. She loves me. She puts me at the feet of Jesus so that when I'm exposed, I can begin to be healed. It's it's why the older I get and the deeper we get into our relationship with one another as we get to know each other finally after 21 years. What makes our marriage so strong, what makes it the most amazing relationship I have in the world is that by Mindy allowing me to be me, By her giving me more and more permission to confess to her and say, this is me, and still accept me, she shows me the glory, the acceptance I have in the gospel. And I'm changed, and I begin to be healed. And over the course of our marriage, we are not the same people we used to be. We are much healthier. Now, we're much more exposed, so we still have a lot more work than we ever dreamed we would have had when we first got married. But make no mistake about it, she is, God is using her And the way that she has covenanted into that relationship with me in our marriage to allow me to be exposed and to be healed. Can you imagine having a marriage like that? Now, it's not always pretty. We don't always get along. People say, you know, everyone fights in marriage, and you'll never see many of me fight out in the open. We're like wizards dueling in the background. You don't even know we're having a fight. We're amazing at our passive-aggressive wizarding duels. We've been in 21 years. She beats me most of the time. But, so it's not always easy. But make no mistake, it's much better than what the world was offering. And I'm a whole lot happier and a whole lot more joyful being married to her under a covenant than just under, hey, make me happy. Complete, you complete me. All right, I gotta move on. All right. Part three, we, we believe in not just a bigger problem, a deeper problem in marriage. We don't just believe in a deeper purpose of marriage. We also believe in a deeper power for marriage. And I'll just close out this way. Can you imagine having a marriage where you and your spouse can be completely exposed to one another in all of your glory, completely exposed to one another, and yet there's utter acceptance Think about how much you could accomplish in your life. Think about how much healing could happen in your life. Think about how much freedom you would have. Think about how much intimacy you would have with each other. The only way that you can have power to do that is through the gospel. 
See, the world is going to say, if you don't have that level of intimacy and romance, cut bait and go look for it in somebody else. Or if you don't have that true level of intimacy and romance, put on some masks, don't be authentic, and fake it until you make it. This is why so many people, they, they, they fake it their entire life, and then their kids leave, and they have empty nest, and then they're they finally don't have kids, they don't have any other reason to be together, and if they stay together, it's because they're afraid they're not supposed to get divorced because some rule in the church told them not to get divorced, or if they do get divorced, it's because they go, this person isn't making me happy anymore, I'm going to go chase it in somebody else. But the Bible says the only way you're going to have power to do any of this, the only way you're ever going to have power to truly let someone else be completely exposed to you and you don't cut bait and run on them as if you first have been allowed to be completely exposed and yet utterly accepted at the same time. Which is the gospel. This is why the gospel isn't just the foundation of the kingdom of Christ. The gospel is the way we live out our entire life. It's the way we approach marriage. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news that you and me were utterly exposed before God whether you liked it or not. Like all of the secrets that you came into the room with right now that you've been able to hide successfully from your friends, from your family, from your spouse, God knows. This is why the psalmist who is thinking about how much God knows about our lives, he considers everything that is going on in his life and all the secrets he's held, and he says, you hem me in. Literally, you, you sow me in. I feel claustrophobic under your, your eyes that can see my entire life. I cannot hide. I am utterly exposed before God. And being utterly exposed before God, he sees our deep self-centeredness. He sees that in our sinfulness, we tried to make the world about me and not about him. The Bible says we're owed his wrath, we're owed death, we're like dead people. Jesus, utterly exposed, lived the perfect life, but he goes up onto the cross. And what does he do on the cross? He takes on our self-centeredness. He takes on our sin. He allows himself to be completely exposed for what we did to the wrath of God. And the wrath of God then gets poured out onto Jesus on the cross. The wrath that was owed us for our self-centeredness goes on to Jesus. There's no more wrath to be poured out for those of us who trust in him. In other words, when you put your faith in Jesus and what he did on the cross for you, it shows you that he saw you, he knew you. He knew the shame that you walked into the room with today. He saw all of your sinfulness. He declared that you were lovable to him enough that he was willing to go up onto the cross, take on the wrath you deserved to show you that through faith in him, you are utterly accepted by God. So now in that, listen, you can be you. You can drop the masks. You can say, I am completely who I am in all of my all of the sanctification that still needs to happen in my life. I haven't arrived yet, but I am not who I used to be. I don't have to hide from anyone anymore because I know in being utterly exposed over here, I'm utterly accepted at the same time. Do you see what Jesus did for you? Do you realize what good news that is for you, whether you're married today, whether you're single today? The offer on the table is that every one of you in the room, and me too, we can come in here and we can drop our masks. You can say, listen, I am struggling Yes, I have this hidden sin. Yes, I, I have these patterns in my life that I just can't break out of. Yes, I have these thoughts that I just can't get out of my head. Yes, I, I am struggling with my self-image or my self-esteem. I, I am struggling. This is who I am. 
and yet know that you can be utterly accepted because after all, Jesus leveled no requirements on me to accept me. He let me be fully exposed and fully accepted, so therefore, you can be fully exposed, I'll fully accept you. Do you see the beauty of the gospel and how it begins to change our relationships with one another? If I've been utterly accepted, I need nothing else from you so I can lay down my life for you. And that will radically redefine marriage in a way that is powerful and brings about deep, deep healing. I've seen it. I've seen it over and over and over again. Man, as a pastor, I get exposed to some of the darkest parts of humanity. The, the depravity of mankind knows no depths. Yet I see the power of the gospel is even bigger, and I get to see it often. We get to do marriage renewals along the way. And this has happened often, you know, where we have a couple and their marriage is on the rocks and things have just gone really bad and, and they come and they, they give, their faith, give, give their life over to Jesus. God begins to heal them. They begin to be more and more exposed. More and more healing happens and they end up reconciling together. In fact, we had a couple down in New Orleans and when we first got them, uh, they were right on, on the rocks in their marriage, like a lot of a lot of stuff had happened in their life, but he began to realize he needed the gospel, so he put his faith in Jesus, began to risk dropping some of his masks, going, this is, this is who I really am, and I need you to accept me. So he began to drop his masks. He found acceptance in some guys at our church who were just loving on him and, and, living, and, and, and living life together and pressing him back to Jesus. She began to understand the things that she had that she had contributed to the marriage. She dropped her mask, began to get healing with some women. Over time, we had them for about two years. They, they were coming together and reconciling more and more and more. Just a beautiful, beautiful picture of how the gospel heals even the deepest wounds in a marriage. About two years in, they came to me and they said, hey, we, we want you to lead a, a, a service for us where we renew our vows with one another. We never dreamed this day would come. We thought we were going to get divorced, and here we are. And so that'd, that'd be great. So we put this together. It was a beautiful night. Uh, all their friends and family came there. You would have thought this was the first time they were getting married because it was such a huge celebration of what God done in their life. Their kids were literally their, their, their wedding party up at the front. It's how much it had changed their whole family. And so she comes walking down the aisle just like that first day, and they get together, and as they renew their vows, when we were talking, they said, we don't want to write our vows. We want traditional vows. And the reason we want traditional vows is because we want to make sure that people understand that what we have seen is that this marriage isn't about what the other can do for me, but what I can do for them, how I can lay down my life. So we want to look at each other and say, for better or worse, in sickness and in health, we want the traditional vows. We went through those traditional vows, and it was a beautiful service, and, you know, they did the whole kiss thing, and the kids were like, ew, and then they, like, walked down the aisle, and we celebrated that night because there's power in the kingdom of Christ to resolve any broken relationship out there. And if you think you're stuck, and if you think you're beyond hope, and if you think your issue and your circumstance and your marriage, that there is no power big enough to bring it back together, my encouragement to you is look at the gospel. It is more powerful than what you think is holding you back. You can drop your masks and come and get help. We counsel people all the time, man, contact me, Bill, at summitlimestone.org. Set up a time, I'll sit with you, we'll talk a little bit. 
I do marriage counseling with a lot of people or we'll refer you out to all kinds of marriage counselors around here that, that are helping so many people. Some of you just need to get into a, into a missional community where you've got people running with you, where you've got other guys and you have other women who you feel like you can be open with and so that you can risk with them and then go risk with your spouse as you guys begin to get more and more exposed with one another. And the point is, there isn't a person in this room that doesn't have hope in this moment. Because in the kingdom of Jesus, there is no darkness that is more powerful than the light of the gospel. So the offer is on the table. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for grace in this room. It's, it's hard to hear about our own selfishness and self-centeredness, God. We, we'll just come before you collectively as a group today, and we'll just confess to you two things. First of all, we are sinful before you. Apart from you, we have no hope, but I'll also just confess on behalf of a lot of us in the room that it's hard for me to always believe that, to always see my own self-centeredness and so it's just a hard thing to receive but we're so grateful that the gospel doesn't stop at our self-centeredness but that there's good news that in our self-centeredness and being exposed to you we can be accepted by you still god there are people in this room that have, have worn masks their entire life some of them are married some of them are single and they feel like they can't ever be honest they can't ever come out into the light and truly be known because if they were that exposed, they would be rejected. And so, God, what I would pray over them today is that your spirit would open up their eyes to the truth that you already know everything that they walked into this room with. And yet you're calling out their name through Jesus and his death on the cross. Let them see your great love for them, that you would send Jesus for them in all of their brokenness and all of their shame and all of their exposure. And I pray they would turn to you trust in you. Some of, some, maybe someone in the room right now for the first time today, they would turn over the throne of their life and give it to you and say, apart from Jesus, I have nothing. And so give them faith to believe. For others who have known you but, but are in a season where they feel like their relationships are just broken, I pray that you would remind them that they are not alone. Remind them that they don't have to hide. Remind them that there is help, not just through counseling and not just through, through uh, uh, group life and community. Those are critical. I pray for that over the room, but I also pray that you would move in power over them to reveal to them that you love them. That there are no lost causes when it comes to marriages. And so I pray over the spouses in the room right now, those marriages in the room right now that are struggling, that you would bring about a season of change for the good, that you would open up lines of communication, that there would be a war fought for oneness. God, we know that's hard, and so I just pray that you would reveal your presence to, to everyone in the room right now that's married, that they might go into that together and, and, and risk greatly in being exposed to one another but that you would move in power to heal. And God, for all of us in the room, what we're left with 
is just remembering that we were utterly exposed before you, a holy, perfect God, and yet you died for us anyway. We're so grateful for that sacrifice and what it tells us about your love for us. And so we turn to you now, God, and even with our marriages in the room, even with our single people in the room, there is something even higher than our marriage, and it's your glory. It's who you are. You are the center of it all, and so we turn to you now and we worship you. We pray this to you, our Father, through our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And so as we close out today, we're just going to turn to him and worship him and make him the center of our whole life together. And we're going to do that by taking communion together and by singing about his glory together. When you came through the door, you should have gotten some communion elements. There's a cup with some bread in it and a cup with some grape juice in it. It looks like that. And if you take that bread, that bread represents the body of Jesus that was broken on the cross. And before you eat that bread today, I'd encourage you to consider what he did on the cross for you. Do you believe that what Jesus did on the cross was enough to pay for all of your self-centeredness? Do you believe that what Jesus did on the cross was enough to pay the penalty for everything that you're hiding, for all the reasons you put on your mask? Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross and that it was enough for all of the shame that you brought into the room with you today? You can turn to him. It's a free gift of grace. And so if you can receive that gift of grace today, then I encourage you to eat the bread with us. That on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took some bread, he passed it around to his disciples. He said, eat this, all of you. This is the bread of my body that will be broken for you so that your sins may be forgiven. So do this in remembrance of me. You should have also gotten a cup that has some grape juice in it. That grape juice represents the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. But the blood of Jesus represents the agape covenant that God has entered into with us through Jesus' death on the cross. In other words, God is saying that through the gospel, you can have that covenant relationship that you long for, where you can be you and you're going to be accepted completely. This means that God will never leave you. That means that you don't get God one day when you die. You get him right now through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Right now in all of your glory. You don't even have to be a level 37 Christian. You can just be you right now. God sees you. He knows that you've got work to do. He knows that you need to grow. But even right now, he looks at who you are today and says, I love you. And I want to be in a relationship with you. It's a beautiful covenant that he's entered into with us. And if you can trust in that covenant today in faith, and I encourage you to drink the cup with us, that later that night, Jesus took a cup full of wine, passed it around to his disciples. He said, take this, all of you, and drink it. This is the cup of my blood, the new covenant that will be shed for you. So do this in remembrance of me. So would you stand with me as we worship him? Lord, as we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we proclaim the name of Jesus until he comes. So we turn to you now and we worship you because you alone are worthy. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.